Hey, welcome to the Ocean Church Podcast. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope it encourages you and reminds you that God is working in your life. Enjoy the message. All right. Come on, somebody get happy about that. Hey, listen, if you, you've been a part of Ocean Church, this is your home. Uh, and you're looking for a, a place to, to see God move through you and to breathe life in you and through you, then I want you to go see Pastor Jared or Pastor Jess. Jess oversees Ocean Kids at Cape Coral. Pastor Jared is here in Estero. And Kids Ministry is a wonderful place to see God move through you and, and He's going to breathe life in you while you're there serving. And so and let me say it this way too. Like if you don't if you don't like being around kids, they give you anxiety, please do not sign up. <laughs> but if you're looking saying, where's a, a wonderful place for me to, to step in and serve, uh, look no further. Ocean Kids is a great place to, to do so. Um, hey, there's so much to celebrate. I don't know that there there is a better... Um, place that that really like checks every box as my heart as a pastor than than what I saw last weekend last weekend there were people that have received Jesus as their Lord followed him in water baptism both in Cape Coral and then here and what I saw was not just people that were following the Lord in water baptism but I saw the reality that we, we celebrate that because they've been birthed into a family. And, and Ocean Church, you do that so well. We, we fellowship together and we ate together we, and we celebrated together because God doesn't just birth us into this relationship of us being a lone ranger with him. He births us into the family of God. And, and so I left last weekend so filled up just watching the way that you love each other, the way that you uh, celebrate one another, and the way that, that we just grow as a church, knowing each other and being there uh, to partner with the work of God. And so um, we're going to give today, and we do so from that place of saying, God, thank you that you are moving in this house. Thank you that you're drawing people to you. And um, it's a wonderful place. Next Sunday, uh, we, we have an annual meeting that we do every year. And it's, it's a very simple meeting so that you as, as part of Ocean Church can be familiarized with where our giving goes to. And so we, we lead a meeting. Pastor Phil helps us. We walk through uh, just the, the understanding of this is what, where we give to. This is how uh, your giving impacts the gospel of Jesus going into Southwest Florida and all over the world. And so it's a wonderful time to celebrate together. So 1 p.m. next week after the, the, this service, um, we will have that. Lunch will be provided. And so you're welcome to join us. Our staff is going to be there. We, if, you, if you haven't met our staff or you're wondering, like, who is Ocean Church staff? We'd love to meet you. And, uh, and just have a great time together. So with that in mind, let's worship the Lord with our, our tithes and our offerings, knowing that he takes our simple obedience and he makes so much more than we could ever ask, think, or imagine. Amen? Come on, let's pray together. Father, today as we give 
And we do so out of this place of awareness that everything we have is by your hand. And so, Lord, we worship you, we praise you as the giver of life, our source that transforms us, our source that meets us in every season. And we say thank you. Lord, we worship you as we bring you your tithe. And, Lord, as we bring obedience and offerings, God, thank you that, Lord, it is multiplied. It is taken, and, Lord, the impossibilities of what you want to do in Southwest Florida and around the globe, Lord, those impossibilities come off. Just simple steps of obedience. So we worship you, we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hey, our practice, if you're, if you're new to Ocean Church, our practice is we, we stand at the beginning for the reading of the word. And so if you would, would you join me in standing? We're going to read... From the Gospel of John, we're in the middle of a book study where we're, we're walking verse by verse, and I love to preach topically. I love to take subjects that we see in the Word of God, but then I also love to, to take these moments and, and just walk verse by verse, sometimes word by word, through books of the Bible. And so we are in 1 John. We're actually going to finish this first epistle. We're going we're gonna to finish chapter 5 today, um, but I want to... As we have, I want to grab a, a moment from the life of John as he walked with Jesus that transformed him, and so he wrote what he wrote from this place of transformation. This is John chapter 6, John chapter 6, verse 22. The context is this, Jesus has just multiplied fish and loaves and fed over 5,000 people. The people just saw this miraculous sign. They've been invited to know, hey, there's something different about this guy. So verse 22 of John 6 says, The next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore saw the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats, went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. And I love, the, I love how he says this. I love these words. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. They replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? And these are the words, these are the transforming words. They've transformed my life. They continue to transform my life. We're going to ask the Holy Spirit that he would do the same in us today. Jesus said this, this is the one thing the Father asks of you. Believe in the one he has sent. So as we pray and, and begin and, and jump into this study, I'm going to ask you to, to pray not just for the work of God in your life, but with the awareness that he is moving in the lives around you. So I want you to pray with that, that burden that, God, I'm asking you to do what only you can do and the one on my right and the one on my left. I'm going to bring him to you knowing that you birthed me into this family 
so that we do this together. We don't do this separate. So Lord, we come to you right now. Holy Spirit, we thank you for that truth that this is the one thing that you've asked of us to believe in the one that has been sent, the one that you sent, Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And so, Lord, I pray for every heart today that, Lord, their, their life would be simplified, that all the noise, all the hardship, everything that would try to speak louder than this truth would be blown away by the power of the Spirit. And, God, that our lives would be centered and built on this truth, believing in you, the one that God has sent. We worship you. We praise you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Man, I am, I'm really enjoying getting to know the Apostle John. The more that, that I'm studying and, and digging into some church history and, and seeing these, these accounts that, that I wasn't aware of, the more I'm just amazed by this transformed man. We, we've talked in the, in the first few weeks of this series and just talked about how John was a really intense guy. So intense that Jesus nicknamed him, he and his brother, the sons of thunder. He, he wasn't a guy that like his first response in a situation was love. And yet by the time that he writes this epistle, he's been transformed to a degree that he is known as the beloved apostle, the apostle that lives with the love of Jesus in a way that is so distinguishing and marking about his life. You know, it's funny, you know, as you, as you raise kids, um, there's something to that birth order thing. Like uh, the firstborn, our firstborn, she's uh, very sweet. She, she loves, you know, as, as I watched her grow up, she loves like the princess stories, the fairy tales, and like everything is just, it's, why be sad when you can be happy because there's a prince out there and I'm a princess and why would anybody fight? Like there's just so much other things that we could do than fight. Why don't we just have fun and tell each other stories and eat ice cream together? Like she is, she is wired in this way. And then we had our second born and her solution is like, if you cross me, options one through 10, are you getting smacked? And 11 and 12 is probably there as well. <laughs> and I, I love the differences. I love, I love just the, the, the way that they're, they're so different. And I see the way that God moves through it in both of them. And, and the way that he's glorified and the strength and, and the way that his power and strength is seen in that. Now, our responsibility as parents is to shape that by the power of God. And this is what happened with John. John came to Jesus and he's typical second born going like option one through 10. If somebody's against us, we're smacking them, Lord. Let's call down fire from heaven. Let's just burn them up. And yet something about the love of Jesus transformed him. And as we are seeing, he, he is a man now. He, he's outlived the other disciples He's somewhere in his 90s, around his 90s, where life expectancy was mid-50s. And John is writing these words, and we're getting to the end of this message where he has 
he's preached this message. Second John and third John read like letters. First John reads like a message. It is a sermon, it is a, a burden that he has for the church. And chapter five is the culmination of these repeating themes. He, he's repeated and talked about the light of God, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. He said over and over that, that God is love. And if you say you love God and hate your brother, hate your fellow believer, allow there to be division, then the love of God is not in you and you lie. He, he, these themes, he just continues to say that if you walk in darkness, but you say you're in the light, you lie. And he calls us to this place of saying, hey, we can't hide sin. We can't act like sin is not real, like it's not gross, like it's not darkness. We have to call it what it is. And he says, but when you do that, there is a place that we go to where he is faithful and just, not just to forgive us, but to cleanse us, to heal us. But it can't come by hiding it. It can't come by trying to call it something else. It must be recognized as sin. So John has said all of these things again and again and again. And this is his culmination. So 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, John starts this way. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. Everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. We know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Like John's going to finish this message and, and this is his, his ending. He's going to say, look, whether you like it or not, you're going to have some life breathed into you. I'm going to encourage you whether you're ready for it or not. He said, you're going to hear some truth and it's going to lift your heart. And he begins it this way. When you believe in Jesus, it's not a question. It's not up for debate. You're a child of God. What does that mean to be a child of God? It means that you've been birthed into a family. Isn't it amazing that John, John says this and he, he immediately connects it to the family of God. Anyone who loves God loves his children too. You know, it doesn't work good to try to walk with Jesus and hate his bride. And you may be in a place where you've seen the church do some ugly things and you've watched some expression that has happened that, that has been ungodly. And if you've walked through that, I want you to know uh, you're in a very... Um, safe majority because the church is filled with imperfect people, including yourself and including me. And there is a place that we go to for healing for that. And the Lord's heart is broken when the church is used and, and church leaders step out and, and wound people. But he does invite us back and he says, listen, it, it, this church thing, it's going to be messy, but I've called you to it. Don't leave it. Don't leave my bride. That's where the healing is. That's where I'm at. You can't love Jesus and hate his bride. And so this imperfect gathering that we've been birthed into, John says, look, you're birthed into God's family. You can't love him and not love his children. You have to find this place of unity with your siblings. 
You know, today, and I don't want to rabbit trail on this too much, but today it is more, it is easier to be divided with those around you than any other time that I've seen in history. Tribalism is, is so easy from everything from the political world to culture wars. So all, all of these things, you can spend five minutes on social media and have all kinds of reasons to be divided from those around you. John speaks to us today into this environment and he says, greater than anything, you can have nothing else in common with someone except they believe in Jesus as God's son and you believe in Jesus as God's son. And that's the highest calling that is greater than anything else. And it's messy. It's so messy. Let me tell you a funny story. So this last year, a godly event happened in our home. My oldest daughter decided she loves football. It's wonderful. She's so excited that it's football season. I don't, and I, didn't, I wasn't even trying. Now, I grew up in Oklahoma. I grew up in the 80s when Oklahoma was dominating college football. So I grew up laying on the floor of our living room listening to Oklahoma football games on the radio. Bob Berry, was, he was just narrating what the Oklahoma Sooners were doing. And so names like Jamel Holloway and Spencer Tillman and Keith Jackson and Brian Bosworth. I mean, these were the names that like I grew up with. And so Zoe, Zoe we, we watch football together. Zoe's our oldest. And so Zoe's, we were watching last year and I realized like how this truth of being called the highest calling as a believer to each other, it, you gotta work it out with your kids because Oklahoma was playing Texas and Texas is the, the biggest rival and the game started out really, really bad. And so like I tried to have this good parenting moment where I was like, Zoe, listen, we're a fan in the good times and we're a fan in the bad times. It's all right. There's bigger things than football and it's okay. Like it sounds like good parenting, doesn't it? But evidently, I'd been living something else because she looks right at me and she goes, but dad, I hate Texas so much. <laughs> so then I, I had to take a step back and like, okay, what am I communicating to my daughter? Because even a Texas fan that believes in Jesus, I have to love. And I've been called to, and it's the higher calling. And I'm using a light example, but I, I'm asking you, can you see the division that is available for us? And can you reject the division based solely on the commandment of Jesus saying, this is my commandment. Love one another. The world will know that you're my disciples by the way that you love me. But here's the truth, when you get into it and you begin to dig in with a Texas fan or a Democrat or a Republican or whatever divide, when you begin to dig in and you base your relationship on the truth that you're a child of God and I'm a child of God, and God has birthed life into our spirit and you let that thing cultivate and stir up, John says this, the commandments of God come alive and they're not burdensome. It's not a heavy weight. God's spirit will meet you in that moment. And it's not a heavy weight. There is life that you can only find by living that way. Verse four, he continues and says, for every child of God defeats this evil world. I told you, encouragement. 
And we achieve this victory through our faith. And who can win this battle against the world? Only those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Eugene Peterson says it this way in the message version. He says, every God-born person conquers this world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. The person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Will you, will you take a moment with me? And I want you to allow your, your mind to be populated by what are the enemies of your soul right now? What are the voices of anxiety? What is the voice of fear? What is the voice of future that is populated in your mind that does not include the goodness of God? What represents this battle against the culture that the enemy has stirred up and is trying to push and discourage the work of God in your life? And I want you to take all of that and I want you to do this and just allow this statement to come out of your heart, to come out of your spirit and to speak louder than every lie, every voice of opposition. To simply say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe in you. There's going to be times in your life where it seems like there's nothing else that you have to stand on. Everything else seems confused. Everything else seems complicated. And this statement must rise out of your spirit and speak louder than any enemy of your soul. Jesus, I believe in you. John says it's enough. If you can say that, if you can live from that, it is enough in every season. He continues on in this way, and I would summarize it this way. He's saying belief in Jesus means you're a child of God. And so that means that you've been born into a family. It means you keep his commandments in this family. And in that place, you overcome the world. He sets you in a place of victory. Verse 6, it says this, And Jesus was revealed as God's Son by his baptism in water and by shedding his blood on the cross, not by water only, but by water and blood. And the Spirit, who is truth, confirms it with his testimony. So we have three witnesses, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and all three agree. Since we believe human testimony, surely we can believe the greater testimony that comes from God. And God has testified about his Son. All who believe in the Son of God know in their hearts this testimony is true. Those who don't believe this are actually calling God a liar because they don't believe God has testified about his Son. And this is what God has testified. He's given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son has, does not have life. John is, is speaking, and whether we realize it or not, he is speaking directly against a heresy that was being taught. And there was a man that was working to infiltrate the church. His name was Serentheus. And Serentheus was trying to, to deceive God's people. And he would say things on this guise of spiritualism. And he, his, his thinking was that there's always this greater spiritual experience that, that's out there. 
And so we're, we're, we're looking for something more. If we would find the equivalent today to Serinthius, it would be someone that would say, hey, it's good to read your Bible, but you should try to read your Bible while doing mushrooms. You'll really get some revelation there. Like Serinthius, is, he is out there trying, and, and what it was based on is he would deny, he was denying the virgin birth, and he simply said, Jesus was a man who had this deep spiritual experience and God filled him with his spirit for a limited amount of time and then left him before crucifixion. And John was, he was angry about it because people were being deceived in this guise of deepening knowledge and deepening spiritual experiences. Polycarp records a, a moment where John goes into a bathhouse and they go in and Serinthius is in the bathhouse and John stops and says, we can't bathe here because if he's teaching heresy in here, the ceiling might fall and we don't want to be here when that happens. John was severe that you and I would know the three witnesses, the spirit of God speaking and pointing to Jesus as the son of God, the baptism of Jesus, fully identifying Jesus stepping into a place of saying, even though I am God, I am fully identifying with you as a man, as a woman. I am stepping into mankind without measure. I am fully man, fully God, and I'm walking through the waters of baptism as a man. I'm walking through the waters of baptism. And, and, and he did this so that you and I would know that there's not a situation that we go through, there's not a temptation, not a trial, that he is not able to fully identify and say, I've been there. I know your pain. I want to meet you in it. John was saying, it's not okay. It's not okay that you would diminish who Jesus is. I'm not okay with that. And so he is speaking, saying there's a testimony that cannot be argued with. It's not human knowledge. It is that God himself stepped into mankind and laid down his life. And so he's declaring this. So he leaves us with this truth, that the testimony of God is truth. Our lives can be built on this truth, unquestioned. He continues in verse 13, he says this, I have written this to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so you may have eternal life. And we are confident that he hears us when we ask for anything that pleases him. And since we know he hears, he hears us when we make our request, we also know that he will give us what we ask for. Now, it would be easy to stop there, but I want you to see John is saying, hey, you've invite, been invited to fellowship with Jesus. You've been invited to know this man who is God, who stepped in to end the separation between God and man. And in that fellowship, you're invited to know him in a place of prayer. And this is where that prayer is directed. He says, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. 
He's bringing us back to this place that we're, we're called not just to walk with God, but we're called to each other. Isn't it wonderful to, to know people that know how to pray? Anyone have a, a mom that prayed over them? Yeah. I don't know how many ugly situations my mother prayed me out of. I shared this with the young adults a few weeks ago, but I was in college and, and I went to, a, our college had a ratio of, of four girls to every guy. And so I went to this college and, and my first impression was like, the odds are in my favor. And I got a few years in and I, I called mom in this moment of frustration and I was like, mom, I don't get it. None of this is working out. I don't know if I'm ever going to find a woman. And she was so sweet. She just said, oh, sweetheart, don't worry. I just pray all those bad ones away. <laughs> and you know what? I believed her. I, I, like, I have confidence in her prayers. And so, and I felt really good about it going like, oh, good. It's not me. <laughs> My game's not broken. It's Okay. It's mom. Mom's running my game. She's the one that's praying away. All the girls I'm asking out. I felt so good about myself. The funny thing, I met Anna two weeks later. There's a place of confidence that God has called every believer to live from. We've been invited to fellowship with God into a life of prayer. Fellowship with God means that we're into a life of prayer for each other. You, you hear me talk consistently about the, the necessity of living with our lives poured out. Not living from a profile, wanting others to think a certain thing about us, but being open and being honest. And Jesus gave boundaries of this. He said, listen, in my family, it's different than what you're going to find in the world. He said it this way, do not cast your pearls, the valuable things of your life, to swine. Don't entrust the, 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 the places of your heart, the, the things that are so valuable to just anyone. But he gave us a family. He birthed us into a family that we would have these places where the valuable parts of our lives could be entrusted one to another for the purpose of bringing them to the one that hears our prayers. I, I need your prayers. I don't know what pastor means to you, but it doesn't mean that, that this role is something that means that this means that I got it figured out. Like I'm not desperately in need of the life of God that he's breathed into you and the love of God that he's put in you to care for me, to care for our family and to pray for the work of God in my life. And you know what? He's done the same in me for you. And John brings us back to this place and, and he, he gives us these boundaries Verse 16 says, if you see a fellow believer sinning in a way that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give that person life. But there's a sin that leads to death. And I'm not saying you should pray for those who commit it. All wicked actions are sin, but not every sin leads to death. 
We know we are God's children. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot touch them. We know that we are children of God, and the world around us is under the control of the evil one. What, what is John saying? He is taking what he heard from Jesus, and Jesus talked about it this way. He said, there's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was talking about every human heart is invited to know the goodness of God. Every human heart by the Spirit of God and the prayers of the saints has an invitation that is extended to them. And yet, in that invitation, there are some that choose to reject it and say, I'd rather be in the mess that I make for myself than submitted to your leadership and lordship. I'd rather do this my way, regardless of how bad it ends up. That is the strength of the pride of man. And, and whether we like it or not, there are those that reject the goodness of God. John is saying it is that practice, the practice of rejecting the lordship of Jesus that is the sin that leads to death. The practice, the embracing of sin, the embracing of saying like, my way is good. Holiness is what I determine. Truth is what I determine. John says, this is the separating factor and I'm calling. He said, I'm not telling you you can't pray for them, but I am telling you to pray for your brothers and sisters who are contending to be free from sin that are contending in, in the trauma and the difficulties of life that you and I would live with eyes and ears that are open to those around us saying, God's called me not just to, to know him and his life, but have his life move through me into your life. John lived this. I want to finish with this. The last Two verses say this, and we know that the Son of God came and has given us understanding so we can know the true God. And now we live in fellowship with the true God because we live in fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the only true God, and he is eternal life. And he finishes with these words, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. This last truth, fellowship with Jesus, means a life of prayer. A life of prayer for each other. John lived this. Uh, there's a story that has come through church history. And, and I, I just, I love the more that I learn about this apostle. So towards the end of his life, John returned to Ephesus. And John had been through some things. He had seen the church explode and grow. And he was there helping churches and traveling and going all around that area of Turkey and, and seeing the gospel just spread. He'd been arrested, attempted to be martyred. He was, they tried to boil him in oil and it didn't work. They tried to poison him. It didn't work. And where life expectancy was somewhere in the mid-50s, John was in his early 90s. And after he had been exiled and the emperor that exiled him died, and so John was like, well, no one's here to stop me. I'll go back home. So this old apostle comes home, and he's there, and he, he's looking for a young man that had come to Jesus 
who had been saved and God had transformed his life. And John comes back and he's looking for him. And the story says that John asks and says, hey, where is he? What has happened to him? And the church leader says, John, he, he's dead. And he, he says, well, how did he die? And they said, no, not physically, but he's dead spiritually. He's rejected God. And John was so filled with the love of God that this was his response. He immediately got on a horse, like right in the middle of hearing these words. And, and he knew what had happened is this, this man had walked in fellowship and then he, he had been divided from fellowship and he'd been drawn away with other influences and it had gotten to the place where this guy was like the captain, the leader of a, a gang of ungodly people that would rob travelers. So John found out where they normally were at, and so he immediately leaves the church and rides a horse to connect with this gang. And so they, they accost him, they, they, they grab him, and John says, please, I intended for this to happen. Would you take me to your captain? Take me to your boss. And um, church history reads like this. This is how it plays out. It says, he rode away from the church just as, he just as he was, and coming to the place, he was taken prisoner by the robber's outpost. He, he, however, neither fled nor made entry, but cried out, for this I did come, lead me to your captain. The captain was waiting, was armed, but when he recognized John approaching, he turned in shame to flee. But John, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might, crying out, My son, why do you flee from me, your own father, unarmed and aged? Pity me, my son. Fear not. You still have hope of life. I will give account to Christ for you. If need be, I will give up my life for you. Stand, believe, Christ has sent me. It says when this young man heard John, it says he, tur he, he first stopped and looked down, then he threw away his weapons, trembling, weeping bitterly. And when John approached, he embraced him, making confession with lamentations as he was able, baptizing himself a second time with tears. Then it says these words, concealing only his right hand. And this was significant. And so as he is embraced by John, he keeps his right hand back. And there was a practice as believers. The, the right hand was this, this unification. It was this symbol. It, it was much more. It wasn't just a bro hug. The right hand meant, hey, I'm in this with you. We're, we're, we are in this together. And this young man's at a place where he, he, he's aware of how far he is from what he knows is true. And he's weeping bitterly and he's confessing this to John, but he's withholding his right hand because he doesn't think he can be brought back. He thinks he's too far gone. Listen to what John does. John pledging himself and assuring him on an oath that he would find forgiveness with the Savior, besought him, fell on his knees, kissed his right hand itself, 
as if now purified by repentance and led him back to the church. This is John. He's writing about the love of God. He's writing about the family of God. He's writing about the reality of sin and the forgiveness of Jesus. Not from just a place of it being information that he knows, but from a place that he has lived. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through John that wants to fill you and I today. That we would have eyes to see, ears to hear. That God has stepped into humanity with saving power that only he has to transform your life and mine and breathe his life through us to a desperate world around us. Would you bow your heads with me? I want to pray over you and I want to ask this question. What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? If you're here and and you identify and you say, I'm I'm more like that young man. I, I don't know that I've ever been saved. I don't know that I know Jesus as my Lord. I don't know that my sins are forgiven. Then the Holy Spirit is drawing you today as only he can and telling you, would you believe in Jesus as God's son? That is the place of transformation. The Holy Spirit may be speaking to you about those around you. Maybe your relationships have been divided and you're waiting for someone else to say, I'm sorry first. You're waiting for someone else to make amends and the Holy Spirit is saying, you're the child of God. I want you to step into that void. I want you to step into that division. Maybe the Holy Spirit's just dealing with us as a body of believers. And he's saying, I'm calling you to a new level of engagement with those around you. It's not enough to come on a weekend and not be known. And he's asking you to trust again, despite hurts that you may have walked through. He's saying, I'm here. I'm calling you not just to myself, but to my body. I want to breathe life and healing in you and through you. So today, Lord, we we simply respond to you. God, I pray courage over every heart, everyone that you are speaking to today. Lord, I pray against fear, I pray against shame, I pray against the voice of the enemy, that today you are drawing all of us to you. Lord, fill us with courage. Lord, if if we're here and there are those here that have never believed in you, have never stopped their life and said, Jesus, I believe in you as the Son of God. Lord, let today be the day that they look upon you. And God, we worship you, we praise you for the way that you unite us and you breathe life into us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thanks again for listening. If you'd like more information or if you'd like to connect with us, visit oceanchurch.com. 
We love you and hope you join us soon online or at one of our campuses located in Southwest Florida.